Hello and welcome to The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, co-head of Fixed Income at Yarra Capital, and joining me today is Tim Tui, Yarra's head of macro and strategy. Welcome to The Rate Debate, Tim. Thanks, Darren. Good to be here. Well, it's the uh, first Tuesday of June, and that means the RBA has just met, and um, as was partly expected, the RBA has increased interest rates a further 25 basis points to 4.1%. You know, looking at the statement, um, this is probably the most consistent statement of the last four. Um, it actually seemed to be pretty much in line with the previous one. I, I don't know, Tim, was there anything in particular that uh, caught your attention in today's statement? I think the thing that was probably most interesting about it is they're still focusing very heavily on productivity and your labor costs has been the, the really big thing that is worrying them looking forward. And they're still, I think, looking offshore a little bit and referencing that and applying that locally. So there has been a bit of a change, I think, um, in the last two months to what they've been calibrating policy around. But in the statement itself, I don't think there was too many surprises in it. Yeah, it's interesting about um, productivity. I mean, it's one of those things that I think probably most people don't understand. Given we've we've got you here today, do you want to give us your uh, quick uh, introduction to what productivity actually means? Well, I think um, we need to put it into context of what they're looking at. So, I mean, productivity, as is broadly defined, is obviously how much output is being put out in the economy, either on an hour's work basis or per employee basis. So it's important because when the RBA goes about thinking about modelling inflation, it's heavily dependent upon unit labour costs. So unit labour costs are a function of output, they're a function of productivity, and they're a function of wages. So we've seen the RBA really shift their language around prices and wages this year Um, all year, really. Uh, And I think that's been the really important development. And they've sort of waxed and waned a little bit. And there was a lot of talk from the RBA, not much from anybody else, to be perfectly frank, outside of the RBA, but around the idea that there was something of a price-wage spiral that could come about this year. And we saw that really in February, and it really set the doves scampering. I think the language is something like, you know, there's a real importance of avoiding a price-wage spiral. It's interesting they switched the order from what we normally talk about as economists as a wage-price spiral. So there was something in that implying causality would run from wage earners to try and keep up with cost of living pressures rather than the more familiar 1970s type experience of cost push inflation, which was basically feeding back into wages. Nevertheless, it was it provided a real cathartic shock for rate markets very early on in the year. But by March, you know, they suddenly sort of reverted form, had a bit of a change of mind, and they acknowledged that wage growth wasn't really continuing to pick up with response to the, you know, the tight labour market. You know, wages are still sort of consistent with the target, and, and if anything, they were acknowledging that recent data had really sort of stepped them back from that idea of a, of a, of a price-wage spiral. Do you think the uh, recent increase to the uh, minimum wages and to the award wage agreements um, has had anything to do with today's decision? Well, it creeped in there a little bit. They did talk about um, a pickup in award wages, but again, it was the message there was wages are still consistent with the inflation target. The general story is, I mean, if you want to break it down a little bit, I mean, wages are running at 3.7%. Productivity um, is running a little bit under 1% on a 10-year sort of average basis. Now, there is a really big danger in many ways for a central bank trying to fine-tune monetary policy towards the top of a cycle with something as as hard to measure and as volatile as productivity. Because typically what you're doing when you're hiking rates and you're slowing demand growth in the economy, 
high definition productivity is going to slow, if not decline, by virtue of the fact that output slows faster than your inputs, you know, labor and, and capital. By definition, unit labor costs actually accelerate into a downturn. The problem that we've got as a central bank is actually that their main forecasting model uses by far and away the biggest input into it is you know, labor costs. So they're looking at their model saying that, oh, look, inflation is going to be a problem because you know, labor costs are accelerating quickly. But it's actually an artifact of the fact that they've slowed private demand so sharply. So we're going to get GDP tomorrow. It's probably going to be about 0.3. Um, you know, private demand is going to be running about 1% year on year and sl- still slowing obviously. So, um, you know, we're getting very close to that, you know, flatlining of growth type environment. And that's, that becomes pretty precarious. We've spoken about this several times, but, you know, central banks have a tendency to, to overcook um, rate rises anyway. I, I think this time is probably going to be exactly that. One of the truly interesting things I thought in the statement, again, was that they, they made this comment about services inflation being sticky, but they mentioned only in terms of offshore. It seems a bit unusual that they would be that concerned about necessarily an offshore phenomenon, um, which may not be happening here as a reason for tightening interest rates. But, you know, are, are we seeing um, services inflation here being quite as sticky as what's happening offshore? Again, it's a bit of a danger in just referencing um, what's happening in services inflation, say the US, and then applying that locally. So typically when we think about services inflation, we think about 80 85% of that has been driven by labour costs. And in the UK, in the US, in a large part of Europe, um, wage growth is just in a different postcode to what we've seen locally. There's also just quirks. In the US, um, insurance, for instance, really gets into the services inflation on an annual basis and that resets. At the moment, it's all about um, healthcare costs, which is a peculiarity of what's going on in their system at the moment. That's really been the factor that's been accelerating recently and driving services inflation in the US. And there's also something that's probably a lot of people don't realize, but about 20% of the US inflation basket is public administrative prices. And most of that is set with a one-year lag on what inflation was. So strong inflation last year permeates through into public administrative prices this year. Again, you need to be a little bit careful about just extrapolating. So again, wages are nowhere near as strong. We don't have same sort of peculiarities around the way we measure services inflation. But one thing that the Fed in particular has been doing is saying, yeah, we're concerned about stickiness in inflation, but let's look at it ex-housing. We're thinking about it as core, core services inflation is the phrase they tend to use. And that's important because rents are a massive part of their of their basket. It's about 33% of headline and about 42% of core inflation in the US. It's a huge component. It would make sense for the RBA to do something similar here, but it would also make sense to think a lot more about how publicly administered prices are really holding up our own services inflation. Because if you think about it, a lot of it is utilities, obviously, a lot of it is rates, a lot of it is healthcare, a lot of it is education. These things are not economically sensitive to whatever the RBA does month to month. Yeah, I thought the that was one of the other things I thought was interesting in today's statement is there was absolutely no mention of rents at all, but they're back on the the whole house price case. And then again, this thing about the you know, some households have buffers, some don't have buffers, it's causing some sort of inequality. I'm not really sure how they think putting interest rates up is going to fix that particular problem, but house prices seem to be driven at the moment a little bit more by you know, lack of supply rather than any any real sort of, you know, problem in terms of um, people, you know, getting big pay rises and things like that and being able to afford to pay more. I mean, 
is the RBA barking up the wrong tree with house prices? Yeah, so we saw that last month that it came into the, one of the factors as to why they rose is they basically, they, 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 they put out a couple of new ones. I mean, one was clearly the house price aspect, one was the service side inflation aspect, one was the A-dollar as well. But we might even touch on that briefely, but I mean, the A-dollar is essentially unchanged on a trade-weighted basis since the middle of last year, so I'm not quite sure why that was relevant. The fact that they're picking on house prices, well, the reason why a central bank normally talks about house prices is they talk about it because they think it provides an insight into the wealth effect, which typically is very small in terms of the, its impact on consumption and therefore aggregate demand. And they also think about it in terms of what does it mean for loan growth. Well, we know that housing finance approvals are incredibly low and loan growth is pretty anemic. And of course, we know that the consumer is in more trouble than the early settlers at the moment. So a marginal pickup in house prices, which is still well down year on year anyway, is really trivial to the monetary policy decision or should be. So it was interesting that they chose to elevate that as a real issue for why you know, we may need to go further. I think it's a little bit of a smokescreen. People understand and follow house prices to some degree, but you know, that's very hard to explain the dynamics around unit labor costs and productivity as to why rates or the, you know, the neutral rate may need to be higher. The um, bit around what you mentioned about the supply side and yeah, it's super important. Now, I mean, we have a, a nationally funded body that you know, their only objective is really to try and forecast housing supply. They have a very decent shortage of housing estimated into 2025, but it's based around the view that the RBA cash rate was going to stay at 3.1% at the start of the year and um, net migration was going to run at half of what we're currently running at. So updated inputs would see a very, very big shortage of housing into 2025. Increasing interest rates, well, what does it do? Well, the most economically sensitive part of the Australian economy by a margin is housing approvals. Um, so it really does lower the future supply of housing. It becomes a very circular argument very, very quickly. So again, they would be better served to think about monetary policy really ex-housing rather than trying to um, solve for something by lower, you know, trying to think, make room, if you like, for higher rents by crushing the rest of the economy makes no sense. Yeah, I think too, um, you know, they've talked about the fact that they'd like to see, or maybe not like to see, but they think unemployment needs to be higher. Right? I guess the more damage they do to the housing market, they, they should be perhaps careful what they wish for, given that it's a fairly large employer as well. But I must admit, you know, we've talked about this a, a few times before, and they do seem to be changing the goalposts month by month. I mean, if you had to sort of, I guess, look forward, what are the, the key things you think are really important to sort of say, okay, the RBA needs to go again, or I think the RBA is done now? Yeah, well, I think they should have been done already, Darren. So I, I really don't think there's going to be too much that's going to come through in terms of the narrative in the very, very near term that's going to really surprise us and say, well, actually, the RBA really do need to get going. So the main things that the central bank is really on watch for is a breakout of inflation expectations. It's been a really big part of why the Fed engaged when they did and did what they did over the last um, year and a half. We just have not seen that same sort of dynamic play through here. And although there is a lot of press and a lot of trees cut down and, and articles written around, say, the Fair Pay Commission outcome, it'll add about three-tenths of 1% to wage growth. So it is higher than what it was last year, but it's kind of trivial in the context of overall wages growth, which but the RBA's own admission is not a big deal anyway. We'd have to be really surprised around what happens with the consumer, housing demand, private investment, you know, and, and maybe even government demand to really, I think, 
come to the view that much more is required. And the evidence just isn't pointing that direction. And we're seeing some quite weak retail type data sets. I mean, we six month annualized retails running at zero in nominal, in nominal space. It's obviously declining in real space. Big downward surprises on housing approvals we've seen. Um, we're seeing this ongoing recession-like outcomes around consumer sentiment. Business indicators are rolling over. We're seeing some decent profit downgrades in the system. And I think the RBA just need to be very careful. Incremental rate hikes are not a linear transformation into the, into, into the economy. You get some really non-linear outcomes when you're right against a precipice of, um, of, of going too far. And, you know, we're very close to that limit, I think. One thing I'd probably bring up too, as you mentioned, company profits um, were off quite a bit um, from what they have been, the last sort of number we got. How do you think that sort of will lead into um, sort of employment over the next couple of months? Is there much of a correlation between profits and and, and employment or, or is that sort of um, not really a relevant thing for employment? It's actually really relevant for Australia. There is quite a regular rhythm that you can see throughout time and um, and cycles. I mean, so the sort of perverse thing that we have at the moment is really weak real growth and really strong nominal growth. And obviously the really strong nominal growth is still a function of the prior change in the terms of trade. You know, basically, you know, commodity prices are really driving a lion's share of that. Now, we're into a little bit of a commodity price downgrade cycle, but just even holding it at really high levels would see the year-on-year changes really fall away anyway. Nominal growth that we've been seeing over the last 12 months is really going to slow dramatically over the next six to nine months. And that's going to be, I think, when you know things like the equity market that focuses more on the nominal world will come to realise what economists have been seeing in the real data for a number of quarters now. But it also means that businesses and business owners and even employees will see the harsher reality of that. You know, slow and nominal Profit growth obviously leads to, when you've had not a lot of volume growth, obviously leads to a bit of a profit crunch. And that's reflected not just in terms of you know, P&L statement, but in terms of people's employment prospects. Now, the other the other point about the way the RBA models things with that unit labour cost model or Phillips model, you can have rising unit labour costs and stay steady on an inflation impact if the unemployment rate is moving enough. Now, okay, 3.7%, it's not really moving too much yet. But there are more signs that the labour market is showing signs of weakness. At the same time, labour supply is improving. So there's a much bigger chance over the next few months the unemployment rate actually will start trending, start moving a lot more and out of this range that we've been in for the last six or so months. Yeah, I think and if you start adding the uh, the wave of uh, you know, people coming into the country on, on top of that, it probably doesn't take too much to actually get it back up into the fours fairly fast. I still don't think four is probably going to, worry them too much but you know if you start getting into the high fours and fives that's probably not somewhere they really want to be and, and you know they've been sensitive to that in the past yeah for sure and, and the trouble is when the unemployment rate starts trending it's it's it rarely just stops like in the u.s it's a really common sort of phenomena that if you go more than three tenths of percent you tend to go a lot and you're in recession here it's not quite as rule based as that but um and the reality is that we're moving up you know more than you know, half to three quarters percent, we end up we end up moving quite a lot as well. It looks like the preconditions are there for something more like that this time. And I just have personally, I have some doubts about looking at things like the jolts data in the US or job openings here as being a really strong indicator of latent labour demand. Those things can evaporate very quickly, and there is some strong evidence that they're actually being misreported and stated anyway in the case of the US and to some degree here as well. So I don't see them as 
been something that central banks should look at and feel a whole lot of comfort around, that the labour market's actually still going to be quite fine if we just keep on hiking on the basis of jobs that may never be filled. In terms of offshore, um, you know, the RBA seems to be taking its its lead from what's happening in the US, unless there may be other markets. How much influence do you think will happen if the Fed actually now does decide to pause for a little bit? Um, I doubt they're going to move to an easing bias, but but even pausing will be a fairly big um, big change for them. Do you think that's more likely to stop the RBA tightening further if the Fed does pause, or, or do you think they're on their own path now? No, I think that they're definitely linked into what the Fed's doing. I think, you know, I think realistically, if you sort of follow Phil Lowe's commentary and you know, the reason why it's felt like has he misled us? I'm not quite sure. It's mainly because the Fed's changed its view as well. So you know, the Fed found itself sort of misinterpreting where they were in the cycle and having to go higher. And it left a lot of other central banks that thought they knew where the Fed's terminal rate was going to be having to recalibrate as well. Yeah, if the bottom line, if you're just going to be really simplistic about it, you're looking at you know, real cash rates at at zero or slightly positive, then you know, the Fed's already there um, and with falling inflation or slowing inflation, they'll move into steadier, higher real rates over the next um, six or nine months. For the RBA, the maths are a little bit different, um, but if the RBA hits its current forecast for inflation into 2024, then we'll have positive real rates at that point as well real cash rates. And I think, you know, that sort of tells you you should be pretty close to the top as well for this cycle. Um, alternatively, we, I mean, I, as you know, Darren, we, we do our own financial conditions indices. With these last three rate hikes from the RBA, we've now moved financial conditions in Australia firmly into the restrictive zone. And um, it's taken us a while to catch up to the Fed, but the Fed has really set and continues to talk in that language. That narrative is always around financial conditions. And um, they've got it to a situation where it's clearly having a depressing impact on on economic growth, if not the labour market yet. Here, I think we've actually had it on the growth side first, and it's we're still waiting for you know that material movement in the labour market. But I don't, it, I do sense it's not that far behind now. So there are some real parallels to the way the RBA has been copying and chasing the Fed, both in terms of its language, both in terms of this talk around productivity and your labour costs, the inflation expectations component, and of course financial conditions. You know, the language is very similar. And hence the the path has actually been, you know, pretty much locked in together. One of the things you can sort of maybe be a bit critical of the the central banking world in general, but but the RBA in particular is that they've been more reactive rather than proactive. Even you know when we first started the cycle, I remember you sort of saying that you know they should have been tightening a lot earlier than they were. You know, yet they were still talking about lower and lower for longer. To some extent, the Fed was also caught out a little bit. And now we're, we're sort of around the other way where they look like they're likely to go too far the other direction. You know, it doesn't exactly uh, give you a lot of confidence of the old don't fight the Fed sort of argument because you kind of have to. I, I think from a, a trading point of view these days is that central banks just don't really seem to have their finger on the pulse quite as much as they used to. Do you think that's a fair view? Yeah, I think there's been a couple of things there. I mean, one is that um, when inflation is within sort of bands that we've been used to, the political aspect around monetary policy is not really that visible. In fact, you know, we all champion the independence. But when inflation becomes at such elevated levels that it's a clear national and political imperative, then central banks actually start to react a little bit differently. Even if they're still pretending that they're, they're independent, the reality is there was a massive story for Biden. And it was a very big story here on our local election as well. 
you know, just needed to come down. And so central banks are actually, you know, thinking about the time frame about what is actually realistic. But it is unusual for, say, for our central bank to be consistently cutting their growth forecasts, which they've been doing for a number of uh, quarters, pulling down their inflation forecasts and still ratcheting up where they see the terminal rate. That's really unusual. Normally, they have well and truly done in the tightening cycle when you're in that real downgrade phase for growth and inflation in the forecasting arena. So, um, yeah, there is something that's different there. There's also something that they kind of lost track of their ability to think about where the terminal rate should be. You, you probably, and this might be a bit too wonky, but the New York Fed has consistently for long periods of time been forecasting where our star, you know, the, the neutral rate for interest rates would be for the US and Europe and Canada, UK, and uh, the RBA do a very similar methodology here. Trouble is you can't do that when <laughs> the data's been so distorted by COVID and the lockdowns and the stimuli. So they've only just started to re-estimate that in the US very recently. So they're only, if you like, just starting to set their anchors again for where they where the model should be able to tell them where neutral is rather than just trying to feel their way with the data. Yeah, I kind of think that they just uh, they didn't really know where they were going. They didn't know where the, ter- where the terminal rate actually was and they wouldn't want to really put too much weight on where these models actually suggest is right here right now anyway but you know it suggests for the u.s the the real certainly at the, at the moment the r stars around one so you know they'll be at one even though they leave rates unchanged using what the fed's current expectation for inflation will be by the end of the year and the current spot rate so job done in that sense you know so locally it kind of works out similar as well but you now they should really be done it's just a matter of whether is to say that the goalposts don't change yet again. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the the one message I get from this statement. It wasn't particularly different from the previous one, so they've left it very open to to tightening further if they have to. They've still made it very data dependent, you know. So it, it, it's it's sort of really hard to sort of say I think they should be done. They probably think themselves they'd like to be done, but you know, if we get a couple more numbers that are a bit bit ugly, um, so I said I would suggest they're probably going to go again, but. I think it's going to be a mistake in the long run. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it, though? I mean, the thing that they continued to call out through most of this year, we're going to be watching global growth, global data. That's been clearly in downgrade mode, particularly um, aspects around China recently, which you know, normally no reference again to China in this statement today. They were saying they're going to watch the consumer, which is, you know, I would say universally has surprised people on the downside. And we still hold, and we have had a very sort of conservative slash bearish view around the consumer and we're not done on that yet it's still going to get worse in the next few months rather than get better they're focused on the business surveys and the consumer surveys and they've obviously deteriorated yeah so if if they were being i think somewhat true to the things they said they were going to be really looking at and deciding what they were going to do month to month yeah those things have universally been on the downside there hasn't been anything positive there to talk about so it's been harder to read the rba when they're essentially just saying oh but we found this other reason oh and maybe this reason you know, maybe a week or eight dollar, and maybe, maybe it's a house prices going up a few percent. Yeah, those sort of things don't help when you're really trying to mark out the very top of a cycle. So I don't envy you having to trade this month to month because that's a really tricky part of the cycle to try and do it. But I do think we're pretty close to that summit. Well, that's it for this month. Uh, thanks for joining me, Tim. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, well, yeah, it was good to be here. Thank you. Tune in next month when we'll be joined by Roy Keenan, our other head co-head of Fixed Income, to help deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's July rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. If you ever want to suggest topics to discuss further, I can be contacted at the rate debate at yarracm.com.
The Rate Debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs, and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor.